everybody, and welcome to the Medevac Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Myers, with our other host, David Reed. Hello, everyone. Before we hop into today's episode, if you've heard the show before, you know there's a price to pay. You have to share it with a friend or family member. So if you get something out of today's episode, please hit that share button, share it with somebody you like, or somebody you don't like. Maybe they'll get something out of it too. True story. Our guest today is one of the most genuine human beings I think I've ever met in my life. Beautiful, beautiful hair. Please welcome John Hagerman. He is a, can I say former Marine? Sure. No, you can't. Man. You is, can't say. Former. I mean, is once a Marine, ex, always a Marine, right? But Yeah. It's never ex This is your podcast, right? I'm just <laughs> a Marine with beautiful hair. With yeah. beautiful hair. John was a uh, Marine from uh, 2009 to 2013, worked on uh, mechanical diesel systems. Uh, and now he is the founder of the Dirt Therapy Project, and they do some pretty cool stuff. So we're going to dive into that. So welcome, John. Thanks awesome. for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This Incredible nice. having you here. And we're going to dive real deep into Dirt Therapy Project here in a little bit, right, which is good. cool. Okay. By the way, our producers should put the link to that video. Oh, yeah. We filmed a uh, short documentary with uh, Terra Arma. If you guys don't know Dave and, my's, uh, Dave and my business, we filmed a short documentary with Dirt Therapy Project. It turned out fucking radical uh and you can it's very good it's yeah it's prime for sure it's pretty rad you can see some pretty (laughs) cool writing stuff in there and we'll talk about that here in a minute so uh yeah welcome john yeah Yeah, john so where do we start with you marine yeah i mean beautiful hair yeah doing some incredible stuff i think uh one of my favorite favorite uh, topics of discussion lately has been alternative therapies that most people aren't thinking of. Okay. And I'm excited. But I want to start with how you got started. Sure. Right? So what was your aspiration for joining the military? Yeah, absolutely. So super quick, dirt therapy. I mean, just so we don't lose anybody, it's not gardening. It's actually a very cool, like, extreme. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's hang, actually a good context. for a minute, right? Like, we're not talking about, you know. Green thumbing. Digging up some potatoes or whatever. Dirt but, therapy yeah. projects yeah. Yeah. where you, you to, right? gather <laughs> carrots and potatoes, yes. and a lot of roots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Root vegetables. <laughs> root vegetables. Yeah. Some parsnips. Yeah. Turnips. Yeah, some broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no. Anyway, yeah. So just wanted to do a therapy project. We'll, we'll preface yeah. it with that it is it extreme is extreme yeah. mountain biking. Sure. Therapy yeah. for veterans. Yes. But anyway, let's let's dive into why you joined the Marines. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think like a lot of people, I, I grew up in a military family, right? Both my grandfathers on either side had served uh, in the army. My my uh, paternal grandfather was at the Chosin Reservoir in the army. Hmm. Uh, my maternal grandfather served in the Navy. He was a diver. And so it just was always something around. Um, I was actually born in Germany because my dad was stationed there at the time. And so uh, he was Air Force. Um, it was just something that was kind of always on the radar. Um, you know, as a kid, I had a little toy action figure. He was a pilot. And I always thought I was going to be an Air Force guy. When I, <laughs> I aspired to be an Air Force guy, which... That's the joke, right? Like, that's the punchline. No, I'm just kidding. I, I call it smart. <laughs> yeah. I call it smart. Anyone who's watched the show before, I'll yeah. be the first to tell you, trade skills during the Air Force. Absolutely. No. <laughs> yeah. um, Look at me now. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You're right. Uh, no. So it was something that was always on the radar. And then, you know, 2001 rolls around. I'm kind of getting ready for school. I'm in junior high at the time, watching, watching the world change in front mm. of my, our eyes, right? It was just... I, I don't think you could have watched what happened at the World Trade Center 
uh, unfold like that and not be fundamentally changed by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the change was this is not okay. This, yeah. this kind of stuff can't happen, especially on our soil. And so I'm going to have to do something to protect our way of life. Mm. And how, how old were you at the time? Oh man, I mean, eighth grade. So yeah. what is that? 13 years old. Yeah, probably 12, 13. 12 13. Were, you, yeah. were you in Germany at the time? No, I, no, I'm, I've been stateside since I was two years old. Okay. Germany was a very short stint of life. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. What, what were the kind of stories you were growing up with about the military? Obviously, you're surrounded by a family that is so immersed into it. Yeah. Um, did you feel like you were prepared because of that? Or was it totally new when you entered the military? Very fair question. Uh, so I got the the genuine military experience in mm-hmm. that my parents divorced very, when I was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I think I was two years old. We had moved back from Germany. Uh, we were in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm kicks off. My dad goes over to Saudi for a little while. Um, and during that time, parents decided that it was, you know, wasn't working out. Mm. So mom packed me up and we headed back to Salt Lake City, Utah, which is where she was from. Her mm-hmm. whole family was there. And, um, you know, life kind of split into two different ways after that. But um, so because of that, I think I had a preparation going into the military and the the stigmas that were surrounded it and just kind of the assumptions that were like, hey, relationships don't work out. It's tough. You're going to be traveling all the time. You're mm. going to be doing different duties. Uh, and obviously when I joined the Marine Corps, the nation was at war yeah. and I told my mother and just, she broke down in tears after I told her that I had enlisted, you know, it was kind of this, this major fear of hers. Oh, it wasn't um, a conversation beforehand. Well, it had been a conversation for several years. So I enlisted at 21 years old. Mm-hmm. I initially tried when I was 17, uh, which I had to get parents permission. I went down to MEPS and yeah. something came up in my medical history. They're like, oh, well, we need your parents to sign this additional release or waiver, sure. uh, which they then decided they weren't going to do. Mm. Um, so I walked out of MEPS, tail between my legs, yeah, just head low, absolutely humiliated, you know, 17 years old. It feels like it, I'm sure. Yeah. For, you, you know, know. It, was, it was humiliating. Yeah. Especially at 17, right? You join in. I was like, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Yeah. <gasps> like not today, son. You know? <laughs> yeah. Better luck next time. I get that. Um, so I'm 21. I had just come back from, um, I'm 21 years old and, you know, tell my mom, hey, I just enlisted in the Marine Corps. Love you, right? <laughs> yeah. So she was like, oh my gosh, broke down in tears, had this big conversation. I just told her it was something that I felt very passionate about. You know, I, I felt that I had owed something back to this country. I think we mm. enjoy a lot of liberties and, and freedoms and privileges that don't exist elsewhere. Yeah. And just felt like it was kind of my duty to do what I could to help with that. Yeah. So sense of purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and so you found yourself at the Marine recruiter and you asked for what job? Um, well, I didn't ask for infantry if that's where you're going towards. Yeah. Well, yeah. How'd you get into what you were doing with diesel? Yeah. So, um, obviously you meet with the recruiter, they have you take the ASFAB. I scored mm-hmm. super well in the ASFAB. He sat me down. I was like, Hey, just so you know, any job that you want in the Marine Corps is open to you based on your, your test results. Okay, sweet. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And he's like, okay, this is, you know, we could do this option. And what I originally settled on 
was a uh, a field radio wireman. Hmm. So somebody that would be like a comms guy embedded with an infantry unit, but able to run comm lines, do the communications channels. It was an 06 option mm-hmm. um, slash an 11 option. So I wasn't told about the other options or possibilities that were out there. So I, I went into boot camp thinking I was going to be a field radio wireman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we graduate, I get my orders and I'm like, Hey, you're, you know, you're going to be an 1142, a mobile power systems technician. <laughs> That's not what I signed up for. I was for. like, that, okay, <laughs> whatever, man. Um, so found myself in Courthouse Bay working on mobile power systems. You know, the the generators that powered support when we were forward deployed, mm-hmm. working on diesel motors. So there was a diesel engine portion of the class. There was AC theory, DC theory, you know, your basic electronics, capacitors, diodes how to work on all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. kind of had to mesh everything together. So know how to work on a diesel engine, know some basic electrical theory, mm. how to get those two to play nice and, and push out some power. I mean, that's a pretty viable job. I mean, so you kept the AC running basically. Right, yeah. Which, I mean, that's super important. I mean, AC <laughs> like, comms, right? Comms, like we were yeah. on Nole, uh, which the AGDAG was powered by mobile okay. power system. Yeah. You know, the only thing that we, the only the only way we had power there was these generators that were running. So we just had to keep those up and going. Mm -hmm. It's a very important job, especially if you're at a fob of some sort or a cop. Yeah. A place where you don't have fixed infrastructure. Right. I mean, that's what's keeping everyone alive on base or at least a little bit more sane. About it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the AC is a critical, (laughs) critical critical piece of equipment. It wasn't a super cool guy, but you know, I got to do some fun stuff. And that drives the conversation that we have all the time is that it's so funny when we, when we think of Marine or, you know, trooper, sailor, airman, we always think, you know, some sort of combat related orientation, especially with Marines, you know, right. They have a, a a stigma, I suppose. And, uh, who would have thought that you had your, uh, you know, electrical training, (laughs) you know, and, uh, trade skill sets in the Marines. Yeah. Trade skills. Yeah. Did you like it? Uh, which part did I like the, your job that I like my job. Yeah. Your job. Yeah. It was fine. Yeah, you know, had some basic mechanical aptitudes, and so it made sense to be working on stuff and turning wrenches. Yeah. Um, and how long did you plan on being in? Very good question. Uh, when I enlisted, I basically went in thinking this is going to be the next twenty years of my life. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. We'll take it four years at a time. Yeah. But I had full intentions of just retiring out of the military. That's what my dad had done. That's what my mm-hmm. stepmom did. I just. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought happened. Um, so find myself in Afghanistan. It's 2010. We, uh, CLR 15 went over and went to Leatherneck and decided they were going to send a group of six of us up to Fob Nole, which was in Sangin. Hmm. And so the six of us show up, uh, three sevens just pulling out, three fives about to come in and replace them. And three five had decided, you know, prior to showing up to Afghanistan that they were they were going to show up and and fight the enemy, right? Like they wanted to, to show up and punch them in the mouth and take <laughs> the fight to them and and uh, stop being reactive and be more proactive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they absolutely did. And uh, there was a very high cost for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like 25 men from 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines didn't come home from Afghanistan. Yeah, We're talking triple digit combat amputees, casualties. Uh, I think 325 had to come in as a combat replacement because they're... Losing a bunch of people. Yeah. That um, 2009, 2010 
in in the green zone there. Yeah. Right outside Leatherneck was yeah. brutal. Absolutely. Brutal yeah. time frame. Cleared Route 611. I mean, yeah. it was just, it was nonstop. Um, and this was your first deployment? First and only. Okay. So your your first deployment, you, you're coming in. Did they brief you on the mission prior to this and it just changes once you arrive? And and it's more kind of a proactive push as opposed to reactionary? Well, so keep in mind my my individual role didn't really change. I still mm-hmm. went over as a as a mechanic. Yeah. Right? And then three five came in. And so we were a third echelon shop. So it was myself as a power guy, two or three motor team X. Mm-hmm. And then uh I think we had an AC guy out there with us as well, mm-hmm. a dedicated AC guy. Um, so our job showing up was keep everything running because of these operations that are going to be happening, going out of Sangin, mm-hmm. Jackson, Inkerman, um, all these locations. So um, does that answer your question? Yeah. It didn't yeah. Really change for me. I, yeah. But you could tell there was some sort of spin up going on here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how did that feel initially when you're going in? Just being new, new experience, getting off that bird. Yeah. Knowing that. We're taking the fight to the enemy. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty unreal, right? Yeah. You can go through as much simulated training as you want and you can watch all the videos and Mm. you can do the combat training and medical training, all this stuff. But until your boots are on the ground on foreign soil, that it, it doesn't register that it's a reality or a possible reality for you. Right. And you show up and, you know, we had waited for a Gila all day at Leatherneck. It picked us up, dropped us off. We roll into saying in it's, you know, Black of night, they said we had to fly in because there were mortars going off. The bird touches down. They push all six of us off. They're like, yo, get off because we got to go. And so we're just standing there in the middle of this landing zone like, what the (laughs) freak is this about, you know? It's just, you know, organized chaos, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so the the unit that we were replacing uh, came out. They're like, hey, come over. This is where you're going to chill out tonight. This is where you'll sleep. Uh, that's the COC. We just had some mortar attacks there yesterday. Don't really, don't go over there right now. Just kind of hang out here. Um, and that was really just the kickoff of a, a a crazy deployment, right? Like even now I think back on that time and it's been a decade and it's, it's just so different than everyday life. Mm. I, I sometimes feel like it wasn't real. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, no, I was there. You're you're in the shit. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a good topic of discussion is when you're in the military, you're fighting for your life. You're you're fighting for those to the left and right of you. And you feel like you're a part of something. Right. Way bigger than anything else back home. Right? Absolutely. I mean, like you you're you're a part of a team. Yeah. I'll say Marines do that exceptionally well too. I've I've when I was deployed in 2013, Leatherneck, same spot. That's when I did a primary bulk of my work with the Marines, the, you know, the local infantry guys there. And I've never seen a group of people come together so hard and trust each other so well and chomping at the bit to, yeah. to like get outside the wire and, and like you said, take the fight to the enemy. I've never seen that interaction with Army guys that I've worked with, Navy guys, Air Force guys, even the special operations side than just normal Marine infantry guys. Yeah. And, and girls, they come together so well and work as a, like a cohesive unit, but just want to drive so fucking hard. And it's yeah. something I've always appreciated about Marines is they they take a sense of pride in their job. Sure. Doesn't matter what your job is. Something that I, I've, I've always had a, a massive amount of respect for was, um, for instance, I did some work up in, uh, up in Washington. There was a few Marines there 
we had to interact with their crypto, uh, cryptographic shop, right? So getting some radio crypto. And this brand new E1 comes running out. He's like, sir, how can I help you? Like, let's get some crypto. Like, I've got all these ideas. Like, we can run this crypto. We can help you get your radio set up like right now. And I've never seen somebody have such a sense of pride in just loading radios as, as a Marine E1 who's just wanting to help and do his job to the utmost of his ability. Yeah. It didn't matter that he wasn't a, a soft dude or an operator or whatever it is, whatever stigma you want to attach to it. He took so much pride in his job. And that's something I've always respected about all Marines is they take pride in their jobs, even if it's the little things that, that go associated with it. Awesome. Um, went off on a total tangent. <laughs> but it's, it's true. It's, it's very true. And it's something that I've always had a lot of respect for. Is it it's kind of one of those intangibles that you don't really know to appreciate until you've seen it and experienced it. And you're yeah. Like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. It is. But what makes the difference between the mindsets of the various branches? Like, why is the Marines mm-hmm. so predispositioned to push so hard? Because they have to be. That's their job. Yeah. To take the field. Yep. Right? And, and you have to have a special type of training for that. Yeah. Brainwashing. <laughs> That's all it is, you know? You tell them for six months, <laughs> I mean, they are the best and they believe it. The, they go out there and they act like the best. The yeah. invincibility yeah. that these Marines feel. I mean, in my opinion, we might be losing a little bit of that as well along the way. Okay. Right? I, I, I think I heard it. As a nation, as a country, as a Well, people, you know, a, and, and without diving too much, but I, I did hear that, uh, you know, a good saying that, uh, you know, weak people create tough times. Yep. Right? And uh, I, I think that that focus is out of spectrum for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What do you think? Do you feel like it's, it's changing any or still had that Marine mentality from start to finish? Um. I've certainly had to adjust and adapt, right? Because the Marine mentality is excellent while you're in the Marine Corps. Yes. <laughs> and it, you like, that's how that's you a great point. live and that's how you have to operate. Yeah. And then once you step outside that little, that little world of the Marine Corps, you, you can't act like that anymore. Mm. It just, you know, I, it doesn't I went, work. It doesn't work. I went straight from school you know, active, or excuse me, I went straight from active duty, four years, combat deployment relatively soon before I got out, Mm -hmm. straight into school. And I'll tell you what, like I would, I started in the summer, I'd show up to class, I'd be 10 minutes early, I'd be waiting outside, I'd be in my desk at the, you know, prescribed time. And I'd watch these kids walk in 10, 15 minutes late, Mm -hmm. absolutely losing my mind. Yeah. Right. Because for four years that had been just Absolutely drilled into you. Yeah. Ingrained into you. Yeah. Absolutely. Like be on time. Time is, when I got out of the military, I realized how much of a pet peeve that was for me. Yeah. When, when, you know, you say you're going to be there and you're a half hour late. Right. That's not not acceptable. No. (laughs) Not at all. That's unreal. Those parts of the military. (laughs) We'll definitely keep those parts. For sure. Yeah. You know, I mean. It's early. You're late. Does it need to be 15 minutes early? No. But like show up five minutes early. Like be on time. time. (laughs) It's not that hard. Yeah. I I think what it is is that people don't accommodate 
for the travel factor. Sure. They're like, if I have to be there at 730, yeah. that means I have to leave the house by 730, right? Right. That's <laughs> yeah, not the way it works. It's not unless the way it works. Can, unless you can teleport. Yeah. Like in that case, cool, man. Like, good for you. Yeah. Share it with the rest of yeah. them. Yeah. Let's have a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's patent that. Yeah. Know. That's Space Force coming yeah. out. The guys, come on. Yeah. Space Force. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah. So to your, to your, or your point, like it, you have to make an adjustment. Uh, going into school was a major adjustment. And then especially back into the corporate space. And I, I kind of touched on it in that documentary we made, but like a lot of vet, you know, a lot of people get out of the military and you're this veteran and you, you go back. It's like getting reintroduced into this normal society mm. that you really aren't, you don't fit anymore. Yeah. And of you course. You kind of have to like fake it. Well, right? well that's, you, you have to pretend that you belong mm. in this, world where people are soft and people are overweight and people like they worry they do these weird they worry things. you know because it's so easy here yeah that they worry about the most mundane ridiculous things yeah when you're overseas like you're worried about coming home right right and and i think that that challenge makes it hard for people to reintegrate into society when they yeah. come home and i i mean and we're becoming better at this, um, transitioning people out of the military, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, you spend so much, you spend, I mean, half a million dollars for, for some troops, you know, special operations and above. And then, you know, how, how much time to get there? Two, three years of training? And then you get two weeks when you get out of the military. And now you have no accountability. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck with society. And you do feel like you're, in the middle of a world that you don't understand anymore. Yeah. Right? How weird is that? Yeah. I remember my wife went with me to get my DD-214 and they handed it to you and they said something like, you may, t you may now return to your home of record or anywhere else of your choosing. <laughs> right? And I was so like, personal. Yeah. I was like, say that again. Run that by me one more yeah. time. Yeah. I can go anywhere I want and can, don't have to tell anybody. Can right? you get like, some pep in there? Like, yeah. <laughs> and that, that was a big uh, eye-opener for me as well was accountability. Mm. Yep. Uh, you, had, you spend, you know, four, five, six years in the military or plus, whatever. And you used to have someone on top of you all the time. This is where you're at. This is where you come. This is where you're reporting. If you're not here on Monday, you know, you're screwed. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're out of the military, you get your piece of paper, and then it feels like no one cares about you anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a weird feeling. Yeah. That is a weird feeling. Yeah. I think that Nobody might be. Nobody cares where you are, when you get there, mm -hmm. how you get there, why you're going. And for, for some of us, that, that is a huge relief. That, that's what we've been striving for. That's sure. what we were looking for like yeah. when we wanted to get out or we chose to get out, right? Hey, I'm, I'm tired of all the accountability and all the check boxes and red tape. Like I'm looking to go to live life on my own. That is a small percentage in my, in my opinion. I feel like there's a much larger percentage of people who when they realize when that moment sets in and they realize they have no more accountability. Hey, mm -hmm. no one's now instructing me on how to be successful. No one's telling me my next steps. Yeah. And they don't know how to be proactive with that. They don't know how to grow from that. And, and to your point a few minutes ago, when you mentioned entering a society that's a little bit softer, when you're you know, a hardened Marine or a hardened combat veteran or, or whatever it is, we, we do have those, those skill sets and we do have you know, that sense of pride in, in, in the things that we do. But being that hard and that rigid all the time, there's some responsibility on us to modify our personalities mm -hmm. to mesh better with 
you know, civilian population. But to your point, I do think that there's a whole lot of really soft people out there that that could use a dose of, you know, harden the fuck up a little bit. Absolutely. And, and I, and I honestly, like, like Dave said, it's because there's a lot of people here in the U S that take safety for granted, right? The, there's a, the famous saying, you know, metaphor, the ignorance is bliss. Right. But I think that it doesn't necessarily stem, stem from ignorance. It's, it's disbelief, right? And there's a, another modified saying that I like that there's safety in disbelief, right? Sure. And there is. People feel safe when they refuse to believe that the rest of the world is as fucked up as, as it actually is. Yep. I think there's a, a fine balance there that people can learn from each other. We can learn how to be a little bit softer and less rigid and less intense in our ways. And at the same time, other people can and take a lesson from the things that we learned in the military, like taking accountability for yourself, having a sense of pride, having a sense of purpose and duty, Yeah, those types of things. I think there is a... Certainly is a balance. Yeah, turn that dial up. I'm just going off on tangents today. No, not at all. I think I think you're tangent Tuesday. I think I think uh, you're dabbling with the fact too that I, uh, as a caveat to that, is is that you know seasoned sailors were never you know were built on stormy seas, right? We've heard that saying before. Is is a little bit of adversity in your life? Those challenging moments that we're all trying to avoid, Mm -hmm. like the plague, are the moments that are going to teach us more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. I mean. You got to have some sort of challenge so that you can learn. Absolutely. And what better way to challenge yourself than be in a situation like that in the military? And then uh, you you could take that home and you apply those lessons. And like you said, you hit it on the head, is that you do have to adapt. Mm -hmm. You you, you can't expect to have that mentality function in today's society. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think also, this is an interesting topic, but I think maybe we take it for granted that we have a volunteer military service, Mm. right? Because I think if you were forced to do something that we did, if I had been forced to go to Afghanistan, if I had been forced to go to boot camp, I I would have hated it. It might've been a different story. I'd be so bitter and mad at being forced to do that. Like I went voluntarily Mm -hmm. and it still sucked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I volunteered to go, Mm -hmm. right? And I, I think that we forget that that's a privilege that we have in this nation. Mm. We're not conscripted. Nobody's forcing you at 19 to sign on the dotted line. Nobody's forcing you to, you know, get your hunting gear and let's, you know, let's go. Yeah. Um, they were off to war. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a privilege that we have. Um, and so maybe keeping in mind as much as we want people to step it up in the back of your mind, it'd be nice if they did, but we knew going into it that we, this was a volunteer effort. Mm-hmm. And so, I think a little patience goes a long way for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, one more thing, not to get on a tangent, but. We like tangents. It's yeah, okay. Tangent it is away. Tangent Tuesday. You're right. <laughs> tangent Tuesday. Yeah, baby. Um, you know, I, I think in today's society and climate, and I'm not going to go, I'm not going to get political or anything like that here, but I think really the only thing we should all be doing is looking for commonalities mm. and ways to build bridges between people because everything out there is trying to pit us against each other, yep. right? It's it's the vets versus the civilians. It's this versus that. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Like, shut up, dude. Who cares? It, like, it's too extreme. Find a common out. Yeah, do yeah. You find it too extreme out? on all sides. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's civilian. Guess what? His favorite color is blue. My favorite color is blue. Let's talk about blue. Yeah. I don't have to tell you about Afghanistan. You don't have to tell me about why you're soft. Like, let's yeah. just talk about the color blue. You yeah. know. You know where I'm going with that? Yeah. I think just. I think building bridges goes a lot further. But that that's what he mentioned too, is that you do have a lot of vets that come back 
and they live vicariously through that four years that they served. And yeah. that's all they could step out. They can't step outside of that. Yeah. You know, and, and I see this with a lot of injured personnel too, it, especially Vietnam vets, right? Yep. Is how much time progresses where you're still, you're trapped in that four years. And, and it's, that's why it's so vital to talk about it, sure. you know, to, to find like-minded individuals and you could find like-minded individuals that didn't serve as well. You know, I, I mean, Absolutely. there's a lot of people that I talk to, you know, when it, whenever I'm speaking on overcoming PTS or the adversities in your life, you know, I'll have people come up to me and say, you know, I never served, but I was in a car accident and, and that is traumatic yeah. for a lot of people. And we could bridge you know, our conversation based off of that is like, there is feelings and emotions that are very, very similar, regardless of combat, regardless of your car accident. Yeah. How do we find that middle ground and help bolster each other up? Right. I think that's what we're missing. We, 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 we've become like a nation that doesn't even like to talk to each other anymore. Right. Yeah. And and who's seeking to be offended. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rather than seeking for the common ground and seeking for, okay, Maybe I don't know much about you, but let me ask some questions. Oh, you love to you love to play the guitar. You love to mountain bike. Yeah. Cool. So do I. Let's talk about that. Rather, it's like, man, this guy, this T-shirt that he's wearing, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. Quick to judge. I don't like, yeah. I don't like this guy. Yeah, you know? quick to judge. Every last yeah. bit, you automatically assume every piece about him. You sign it off, and that's right. it. Right? It's yeah. it's basic stereotyping. But I think there's a lot of compromise that everyone on on every side needs to come to. Sure. And and find that common ground exactly like you said. And not to dive too far forward, but dirt therapy, for instance, right? Bridging that gap through mountain biking. It's an extreme sport, which gets your adrenaline going. A lot of veterans, they really enjoy extreme activities, extreme sports, because it puts you back in that mindset. There's a sense of camaraderie with it. You go out with your buddies. You're out with five or six different people, mountain biking all day, sweating your ass off, right? There's a lot of different modalities that can be considered therapy, which help you grow outside of that mindset. Yeah. Like, like Dave was saying, a lot of veterans get stuck in that four years of service and, that, and they're never able to grow beyond that. And I, I read a, a short article recently um, that discussed the uh, relation between childhood traumas mm-hmm. and uh, veterans with, with PTSD. A lot of childhood traumas, yep. you never grow past the age at which you were traumatized, right? If you have some sort of trauma that happens at eight years old, you have a defining moment that never really allows you to grow past that if you don't work through it. Mm. And the same thing applies to veterans. That's why they get stuck in that that. that it mindset. is a biological block. It is. That and, literally happens in your brain. Yeah. Right. And they don't realize, I think a lot of them don't realize that there are not just talk therapy where you go and sit and talk to a shrink, right? You don't have to do that. There are alternative modalities that allow you to escape that and to grow from that. Mountain biking is a perfect example because if you go out with five other people, none of which are veterans, guess what you're doing? You're now creating a new community, introducing yourself to new challenges to overcome with a group that's building camaraderie. So you have those same things that you love and cherish or appreciate about the military, but you're able to grow past it right. and break out of it. Yep. And that's what I love so much about Dirt Therapy Project. Yeah. Woo. Woo. It's a good one. It's a fun one. So let's, let's back up a little bit into your deployment. And we're getting ahead of ourselves with some good conversation. Yeah. I do love that stuff uh, <laughs> yeah. to talk about mindset, especially uh, applying what you've learned in the military uh, to civilian life. But let's let's back it up a little bit to your deployment. Now things are sp- spinning up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're starting to lose people. Mm-hmm. What's going on in your head? How are you feeling? Is this what you signed up for? Is it what you expected? 
Are you challenged? Boy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so is it what I signed up for? I, I don't think you join the Marine Corps, especially the Marine Corps, and not be willing to either pay that price mm-hmm. or see that price be paid. Mm-hmm. So I, what, I like it was an assumption that that was going to happen. Right. Um, now your other questions. It's, it's hard. And let, let me help you on that, that one a little bit. Cause that's a tough question uh-huh. is it, you know, sometimes we have an expectation when we go in for me, uh, when I joined the military, I'll be the first to admit I glorified war. Okay. You know, I, I played GI Joe when I was a kid, you know, crawl through the mud, you know, glorified every aspect of it. And when I deployed and I realized what it really truly was, it was an eye opener for me. Yeah. You know, especially when I started losing my friends, Right. you know? So my perspective changed in the military quite a bit and it gave more of a serious tone Yeah. after that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, it's you know one of the one of the Stoics quotes or something. But the only people that glorify war are those who have never been. Yeah, right. And so you get there and you show up and uh, you you see this loss of human life and it's you just I don't know if you can comprehend it in the in the moment. I think that I think that's a big thing. Processing takes a lot of time. Yeah, I know for me. Um, I don't know if I like processed that kind of stuff or my my deployment until I was even out of the Marine Corps mm-hmm. and kind of had the the space to really process what had happened. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean, you know, here we are. It's it's we're in Sangin, things are going crazy. Um there's IEDs going off all the time. We see people get Casivacked all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a generator mechanic and somehow I'm getting pulled out on foot patrols and going from cop to cop. And, Damn. you know, here I'm working on some gear and then we're going to patrol the next one and work on some gear. Uh, just, you know, super crazy experiences. Um, and it's, it's just happening in real time. So you don't have the the freedom or the ability to comprehend what's happening. You're just mm-hmm. living it and surviving it. And, being, you know, what's next? Yeah. And then... I think you nailed it on the head. And that's a a good point for our audience here, especially those who haven't served, is everybody else sees the snapshot picture, Mm -hmm. right? I like to use Call of Duty as an example. We load in to the mission right away and we engage, we get killed, we respawn, it's over. There's so much stuff that goes behind the scenes to that. You know, that transition onto that target where you're, you're thinking about the conversation you had with your wife. Mm. You know, you're worried about your left and right, your friends are going into that. Did you bring enough food? Are you wearing cold weather gear? All these feelings and emotions go into this. And then after you have time to process it, but everybody just sees that picture and that's it. Mm. Right. So really, you're, you're just seeing, nine, you know, that snapshot picture. And right. it's, it is so hard to comprehend what these people are feeling. Yeah. And and I think that's a big thing is we disassociate the soldier or the troop, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that image of them, but they're a person. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, I don't know. It, it's sometimes it's hard to remember that it's an individual. It's a human being 
underneath that uniform. Yeah. Yep. And like it or not, that goes both ways. It's the same side. It's the same for the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, we see that person as as a target or as an enemy. That that dude probably had a family. That dude was married, had some kids. Yeah. And our beliefs, our beliefs didn't line up. Yeah. And, and so he died because of that, or you know, he killed one of our guys because we believed different things. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, and and that's not to discredit you know any anyone out there at all, but. It's it's a perspective, right? We need to be able to step outside of our own shoes and sympathize with everybody that we're facing. That, that's know your enemy, right? That's art of war right there. And I, I think that's that's a perspective flip that hurts a lot of people too. It I mean, that that makes it tough. You know, three, four, five deployments later, it, you start to see the effects of that. You know, that, that's a tough one. And it is, you know, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I mean, and in a roundabout way, it does make you less effective, right? Just like you said, art of war, that the whole purpose of understand, know your enemy, sympathize with your enemy to understand them on a deeper level, right? Mm -hmm. So you can get in there and crush them. That's the entire purpose of that saying. Right. When you start to lose that respect or that that, um, thirst for the knowledge, right? Wanting to know them on a deeper level and understand what's driving them, that's how you ultimately defeat an enemy. We start to get jaded to that. And I think it makes you less effective um, on the battlefield. So it really does drive that argument of, is a robot better or is somebody who's highly sympathetic a better soldier or a better tactician at the end of the day? Right. Hard to say. I don't right. know. There's a little bit of a balance there. Yeah. And it, it all just goes to uh, what our belief systems are, I suppose, at the end of the day. Sure. <laughs> so, um, so, Talk me through the rest of this deployment. How how did it go for you? Did you sustain any injuries? Like, no, I was absolutely blessed. I walked out without mm. a physical scratch, um, which to this day I, it's it's crazy. Like some of the experiences we went through, some of the convoys we were on, mm. some of the gear we were working on, just just got extremely lucky or blessed, whatever you want to call it, right? Like the stars were in my favor. Yeah. My chakras were alive. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the saying Mercury, is. You know, Mercury's in lemonade. Well, <laughs> yeah. One time when I was a what, kid. Something was in retrograde. I guess. <laughs> yes. Mer- Mercury was in lemonade. Yeah. Um, so one time uh, when I was a kid, I, I, I remember, and, and I, I was always ashamed of this. It was, I was really young and this was the initial invasion just happened. Uh, I was 13 or something. And, um, and I, you know, someone, it was the first troop that got killed. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And I, I said, well, you know, he must have not been trained properly. Mm. And I always regret saying that, you know, and, sure. and I, that just goes to show you that the, the scope of what people perceive mm-hmm. and, uh, and that they don't understand that it's, it, it is, luck has a lot to do with it. Sure. You know, luck and timing and placement and your team position and all that stuff. And it, it, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you just get unlucky. Yeah. So uh, I think luck is a huge part of war, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah, I would say right that place, I, right time, you know, that I, I am, uh, you know, and I, I ask this guy, I always say luck of the Irish because <laughs> 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 I've gotten some, uh, gotten through some, some situations just based off of luck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing kind of to this point that you, you're not really prepared for that you touched on is like, you know, I joined the Marine Corps knowing that loss of life was a potential, like a, a statistic potential, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm in Afghanistan and then I'm in Sangin and then we're there at three, five and we're like, dudes are dying very frequently. Yeah. And at some point in that deployment, I was like, okay, 
I, I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember the exact moment, like this acceptance of mortality, like light bulbed. Mm-hmm. You're right. And I was like, I might not go home from this. Mm-hmm. And then that just kind of became an acceptance. Like I, I could die here. I might die here. Mm. And then once that happens and you don't and you come home, it's very confusing and it's kind of hard to find, um, not the purpose again, but I don't know. I, I just never, it took me a long time to get over that. Right. Like I was ready to die. I would have died for my country. I thought I was going to, luckily I didn't obviously now, but then coming home from that and be like, well, didn't die. Yeah. Now what? Right. I think that's the thing a lot of people struggle with as well Is like, what's next? I didn't plan that far ahead. Yeah. I, I knew, I knew where the end was like, exactly. and, it, and it never came. Yeah. I, I, we've actually had, we, we had this conversation. I think Justin Day brought it up recently. He was a CCT, got blown up and he thought he was going to die and accepted that death. I think it was Justin. Uh, I have to go back and double check, but on one of our previous episodes recently mm-hmm. said the same exact thing was I accepted death. Sure. And when that didn't come, I was pissed. Okay. Because I had nowhere, I had nothing planned after that. That moment I knew, okay, well, I'm not going to make it past this. So that's it. I'm resigning. And when you wake up and you realize that all that work is in front of you and you have to like continually grow and, and evolve past that. Yeah. It becomes a daunting task almost. It does. Well, I think that uh, human nature dictates that we're all about closure a little bit in our yeah. life. And when, when we have something that open-ended, you just ask yourself the question, what's next? Right. And how to get that feeling back. <laughs> That's a tough one, right? Yeah. If we know what our heightened state is, and that being at the verge of life or death, yep. coming back, what is the challenge for you after that? <laughs> Seriously. What's the challenge past death, right? What, yeah. so, so, like, you know, in a lot of tasks that, you know, people ask me today, and, you know, they ask you the same thing, is, you know, how... You know, how, you're so busy. Like, how, how do you manage all this stuff? And I'm like, because no one's shooting at me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that, that that ample amount of stress that I faced when I was in the service mm-hmm. has helped me manage my stress for the rest of my life. Okay. Right. Do you feel the same? To a point. Okay. We all, we all, we all get complacent. We all let stress bother us at the end sure. of the day. No, I, I agree. And I think it's to a point, but I also think that you have to be careful because we can operate in those very high tempo, high stress, high frequent, uh, you know, bursts mm-hmm. to an extent. I think if that's happening too often or too frequent or too long without a, a, some respite, it's detrimental to our health. Mm. Right. And I think we forget that we need to shut off for a little bit because that's very much, true. Much like you, I can get looped into these cycles where like, days I'll work on something. Yeah. Right. Mm. Very little sleep. And I have this big project or I have this deliverable or I have this idea that I want to like flush out and I know how to power through it. Yeah. To get it done. Yeah. Makes sense. But what's the price? Yeah. You said the same thing to me the other day. He said the same thing to me the other day. I had a, so I ended up having a bursa sac rupture on my leg, my prosthetic leg. And it was the size of a golf ball. Okay. And I'm walking around and like my 
travel schedule, all this stuff. And he goes, he's like, just take some time off, man. Yeah. I'm like, ain't no time for time off, brother. <laughs> he's like, well, he's like, you're going to kill yourself then, you know? <laughs> I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to bring this up at the eulogy. Yeah, exactly. I told you to go get it taken care yeah. of. So, so that's a good, that, that is a great point is that is, is there is too much. Mm-hmm. There is too much. And finding a balance, as you mentioned too, is the most important piece. Yeah. I could take what I've learned in the military and I could apply those lessons in life, but I shouldn't focus primarily on that. Mm. I should take key indicators from everywhere else and make the best holistic package that I could create of myself. Right. So military is not an end-all be-all and it doesn't, most certainly doesn't mean your resume is cooler than anyone else. Right. But it does help you time manage. Yep. You know, helps with your accountability yep. and absolutely helps with your leadership skills. Yep. Mm. Yep. And, but you can't, so you made a point earlier, right? Like people get out of the military and they get stuck. Yeah. But it's because for a lot of people, that is your identity. You are Sergeant so-and-so. I am Sergeant Hagerman. Like that's what I know and that's who I am. But at UTSA, they don't care. Yeah. At work, they don't care. So you have to grow beyond that. Take like to your point, take the good things that you learned, Mm -hmm. take your experiences, find whatever it is to make you a better human being and use those, have those in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. Like you can't be that person forever. And it's not the highest level either, right? Right. Just because you were a super duper secret CAG operator, Navy SEAL, whatever, that that is not the end all be all. And that is not the highest pinnacle of success in in, in life, right? That does not... Yeah, for some people it is, for some people it's not. Sure, yeah. And I, th- I think those people are limiting themselves. Sure. I, I don't necessarily think that they're stuck. I think that they're limiting themselves and, and not wanting to progress and continually challenge themselves because there's a lot to grow past beyond that. Yeah. It's great to be able to kill people real well, but it's also great to come home and be able to take care of your family. Like if you have a wife and kids and, and your job is, uh, you know, your accountant at USAA now, they don't care about your draw time and, and how quickly you can, you know, run your 440 and how much right. you can deadlift. Yeah. They, don't, they don't care about that. What they care about is, can you provide for this family? Right. Can you raise these children well? Those are huge challenges that you can grow beyond those four, eight, 10, 20 years that you spent in the military and continually challenge yourself and, and grow from. You know, there, there's a, a whole breadth and, and expansive scope to, you know, humanity, I think. And it's not just, I think we're limiting ourselves there if, if we just rely on that and, and bask in, in those few years. Yeah. I, I, I truly believe that. I agree. You know, and not to continually take away from your microphone. <laughs> you know what? I, I do have to say that your, your shirt and uh, your hair yeah. are a good reminder for to take a take a chill pill every once in a yeah. while. Just fucking relax every once in a right, while. Man. Chill out, dude. Yeah. <laughs> need to give me one of them shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Remind myself to relax a little bit. <laughs> I think uh, a really good point to that too is that we need to stop going around with a sense of entitlement. Yep. Just because you spent 20 years in the military doesn't mean you could go up to the Starbucks barista and berate them for not treating you with a certain respect right. that you deserve. Mm-hmm. Because no one knows your story and you need to, you need to go in, into that with a totally different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're right. You, it's a limiting factor. Like the, everybody in this world is going to know something more than you do at some, at some point, right? Bill Nye said that in layman's terms. 
<laughs> Bill Nye, the science guy. No, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, someone's going to know something more than you do. So you need to open your spectrum a little bit right. and be be prone to meet those people because you could, if you just enjoy that perspective of this this person's experienced a certain amount of life more than you, you could live vicariously through that and you can learn lessons from them. Who It doesn't matter who it is. Right. And as long as that's your mindset, you'll continue to grow. Mm. But if you're of the mindset where you are the prime, you are the knowledge, you are the database, then you're going to go through this life missing out on so much knowledge and opportunity mm. and experiences. Because you can tell, you can, when you meet somebody, you can be like, you know, I could meet you and be like, oh, this guy doesn't want to hear my story. Mm-hmm. And so much could go lost between both of us. Or like, man, this guy's super interesting. I want to know his story. Yeah. And we can talk about it and figure it out. Like, whoa, that's awesome. And now I know things that I didn't know before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting one. That is an interesting. What do you think the biggest lesson you've learned from the military outside of like hard skill sets? Mm-hmm. Like mine would be leadership. You know, I, I learned some, some great things about leadership. What do you think you've learned your takeaway from the Marine Corps has been? Uh, mental fortitude. Mm. Yeah, and just, that's a good one. Just the the mental fortitude and the the knowledge that no matter what it is, I can do it. Mm. Maybe it'll take me longer than the next guy. Maybe I'll have to try fifty times, but there's nothing that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was yeah, that was a massive takeaway from the moment. That's mindset. You're talking mindset too is is operating at a at a higher frequency for sure. What's the shirt? Say again. It's the shirt. It is the shirt. <laughs> it's a frequency booster. <laughs> <laughs> so so you've learned some some incredible stuff from the Marine Corps. Ta- talk to me about how you applied that to uh, the civilian sector and your journey into creating Dirt Therapy Project. Yeah, absolutely. Um so, I mean, it was, it was, we've touched on it. It was quite the whirlwind getting out. I, you know, like I said, I had thought that I was going to do 20 years in the Marine Corps mm. and this, this deployment experience is super crazy. And I see all these, you know, insane things that I never thought that I'd see. And I come back and the senior enlisted guy at my shop, you know, this little shop on Miramar, 50 people pulls me into his office and proceeds to tell me how I didn't do shit while I was over there. How, you know not the tip of the spear. You know, I didn't say I was the tip of the spear, but basically like discrediting this deployment, right? And I'm like, okay, uh, you kind of suck. <laughs> and I was like, man, is, is this my future? Am I looking at my future? Mm-hmm. If I stay in, am I going to be angry and bitter and closed and just unable to, I don't know, like open up? Yeah, unable to like, I don't know, recognize others and things that they're doing. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. that my future? Uh, and it hit me really hard. And I thought about it for quite a while. And I think I had 18 months left on my contract when I got home from Afghanistan. And that experience was day one. Um, that was day day one home from a deployment? Yeah, that was day one, you know, checking back in off of leave. What a dickhead. You know, and I come back and all of 3-5 is on 90-day suicide watch. Nobody in the battalion is taking leave. Yeah. Like, it's it's insane. And then they just, they shuttle us back down to Miramar and like, hey guys, welcome home. Didn't do much. It's like, okay. That really, that really hurt. Mm. Um, 
And so I decided That's bad leadership. Yeah, it was yeah. terrible leadership. That guy sucked for sure. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening, I still think he sucked. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Whatever. I forgive you. <laughs> um, I'm better so, than you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, way better than you. I'm on this podcast. Yeah. My, my, my hair's better. Yeah, my hair is beautiful. Your hair is better. Yeah, I dress. I, I dress don't even have better. to see his. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, it, it it's funny. Uh huh. But it's anyone watching this. It's it's true. Because because that is, it's a mindset. And if you go through life, like competing with everybody mm-hmm. and thinking you're better, yep. God, that's going to be a tough one for you. Yeah. That's going to be a tough life. Yeah. And I could sit here and, and watch you. Just, you enjoy life now. I do enjoy life. You know, yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Don't, don't you worry. I mean, life's, life's good. Flowing. I can't believe it's not butter hair coming <laughs> at me. <laughs> yeah. So Dirt Therapy Project, let's talk mm-hmm. about it. Sure. Let's talk about it. Um, yeah, so fast forward, you know, I had that experience. So I decided I'm going to go to school at nights on base. So I, I did the, you know, tuition assistance, got my associate's degree. At that point, I became the most highly educated person in my family. Um, you know, my parents hadn't gone to college or anything. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I, I have an associate's degree. Hmm. Uh, my wife was so proud of me. She, you know, she's the driving force behind all of this and comes from a very educated family. Her dad's hmm. a CPA. Um, so it was incredible. I was like, whoa, this is cool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe I, maybe I will get out. Maybe I'll use mm-hmm. my GI bill. Maybe I'll go to school and do something that nobody in my family has done. Right. They were all military and I did that and it was, I enjoyed it, but maybe I want to get out before I see myself become this person that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did, I got out, we moved here to, to San Antonio on just kind of a, a leap of faith. Uh, we both grew up in Salt Lake and we're like, well, we can stay in San Diego. We can go home to Salt Lake or we'll come to San Antonio uh, where my dad and stepmom had relocated a few years ago. Came here, went to UTSA, uh, did my undergrad, graduated, couldn't find a job, ended up working at Rudy's for a little while, man in the mm. cash register, you know, hey, hey, welcome to Rudy's. <laughs> um, would tacos, you like to try this? Yeah. You know, would you like a sample? And did that for a minute. Um, ended up getting a, a spot at USAA in their call center. And I was doing policy service insurance stuff. Um, and had also enrolled in grad school. So Mm. I get into grad school at UTSA. It's the MBA program. I'm doing that. I had worked my way out of the call center. I was doing something in our procurement department. Uh, So at the time I've got two young kids. I'm working this pretty high stress corporate job. I'm in grad school and I'm still kind of processing my deployment and my service. And, you know, life hasn't really slowed down enough for me to really think through any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the mornings before work, I'd, I'd go run. And then just kind of on a whim, I jumped on Craigslist and I was looking for mountain bikes. Mm. Like I had grown up mountain biking in Utah. It was very accessible. Found one that was super cheap. It was like 400 bucks. I could afford it at the time. Bought it, started riding it all the time. I would ride it after work, before class, or in the mornings before work, just as often as possible. Um, and to my earlier point, you know, N plus one is the perfect amount of bikes. If you collect anything, it's N plus one. So I bought another bike and then I had a loner and I would start inviting people to go out with me. Mm -hmm. It was people from work or school. And these are other veterans I had interacted with. Um, and there was a guy that would came out, you know, his name's Bill Comanch. He had just retired from the Marine Corps, did 23 years. He's a Lieutenant Colonel and we're on the same team at work. Mm. We become buddies, right? Running buddies and then biking buddies. And I start talking to him like, yo, I, I kind of have this idea. 
this has really been awesome for me. I love riding my bike. It's it's peaceful. It's quiet. Yeah. Uh, it's a good stress relief. It's a good mm-hmm. pressure release valve for me. I get to blow off some steam. I think I think it might be beneficial if other veterans tried this. Yeah. So, yeah. That sounds like a pretty cool idea. And so after several months of you know back and forths and ideas and you know just kind of talking through it, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this. Um. Funny, funny side shoot. I met with another person at work. I was like, hey, I'm going to start this nonprofit. Yeah. And he proceeded to tell me, well, there's there's over 45,000 veteran nonprofits in the space. Mm. What are you going to do that's different? <laughs> How are you going to make it different? And I was like, whoa, nice, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> was it the same Marine Corps commander? It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Marine. Yeah. It wasn't Marine. So maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe more that's that. where. Naysayer side. Yeah. Huh? No, so, um, yeah. you know. Long story short, the the history is quite interesting. But so I decided to start this program and uh, file through the state for an incorporation, and then I file my five hundred one c three exemption with the IRS, and that takes time. Um, I think I gathered the initial funds to pay for our legal filing fees and uh, articles of incorporation and bylaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did that through a GoFundMe and some family and friends, you know, I was Perfect. raised a couple thousand dollars and could pay for the, all the paperwork I had to do. Um, and then there we were, there we were a nonprofit and the growth of it has been something that's been pretty awesome and pretty fun to be a part of. Um, you know, when I started this, my vision was pretty small. I was like, okay, our goal is let's buy three bikes. We'll have three extra helmets. And, um, you know, so I need like $10,000. Let's raise that. And that, that will be really as big as we ever get. Yeah. Uh, and so that, because I was short-sighted, like that's how big we got for a little while. And our group rides consisted of me and my work friend and, you know, maybe two or three other people. And, um, you know, four years later, they've grown to the point where we're now operating in eight states. Uh, and I, I'd say on average, we have between 150 and 250 participants on a monthly basis mm-hmm. between those eight locations. Um, and it's, it's just grown way beyond my wildest imagination. Right. Yeah. So like at this point, I just kind of feel like I'm along for the ride. I, I love being a part of it. It's just super fun and just getting to experience it has been, it's been incredible for sure. Isn't it funny that we're, our, we're very self-limiting sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, when we start something initially, we have just a small scope of understanding. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you're able to open your mind up, you can take on the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you feel like you're taking on the world. Uh, we're getting there, I think. I don't know if I I'm taking on the world are. yet. But. I wanted to say, I want you to say, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next time. <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah. 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 But don't we all say we're getting there? Yeah. Just too often. Uh, and we can't just take a moment to to think of what we create created and you're affecting the lives of 150 to 200 people a month yeah. in eight different states compared to what you thought was going to be three. Right. So it, it's funny that it doesn't matter if it's mountain biking or jumping out of planes or, you know, shooting pistols or bow and arrows, you know, if it's therapy for you and it helps you overcome the adversities that you face. I think the biggest thing too is, and, and you said this when we were at Spider Mountain, is when you're on the trail, you're not thinking about anything else. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about how I'm going to hit it. Yep. And you're so enthralled and you're so in focus and all the other noise that you're facing in your life 
subdues. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And I think that's important for a lot of people in a, in a world that is so noisy. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Being able to just kind of detach for a little bit, right? I'm not on a ride. I'm not checking Instagram. I'm not looking at Facebook. Yeah. I'm not getting mm-hmm. phone calls. I, I, I'm not plugged into the matrix at that point. You yeah, know, I'm that is. completely out in nature, getting some vitamin D, getting some cardio, having an absolute blast. Mm. Uh, now, when I started this, you know, and I've, I've accepted this, but I know, I know that mountain biking is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Not every single person I meet is going to love it. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. But what I hope to be able to do is make enough connections and you're like, yo, I hate mountain biking, but I love to wakeboard. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, let me connect you with these folks over here who mm-hmm. do wakeboarding. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's, there's people in the nonprofit space who are hesitant to do that because they- they're competitive. They want it, yeah. right? Like they yeah, want, want donations. Don't even get me started. Okay, well, I won't get you started there. But <laughs> we don't have enough time yeah, on this yeah, show. We'll have a whole so other hour. Stance, <laughs> that's not my stance, right? Yes. My stance is, you know, if if I can't help you, that's okay. I know that I'm, there's people that we we won't affect. Yes. But let us send. Let us plug you in elsewhere. If you want a wakeboard, you want a skateboard, you want to sing, you want a basket weave, whatever, man. Like. Let's help you find that. Let's, mm. let's get you to where it's going to be beneficial because that's a win for all of us. It is. Right. And, and just getting out there, I, I have to tell people, it, it doesn't matter if you're a civilian or veteran, get out there, get involved into something, find a community that you're a part of because veterans have this close knit circle. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's like you said, it's just because we have like-minded experiences. Mm-hmm. We, we just have similar experiences that help us connect. Yep. And you could find that anywhere. You could find that mountain biking. You could find that in ballet or opera, wherever you want in this yeah, world. It's true. You just got to find a community that is there to support you. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, with the program, we've always been welcoming to anybody that wants to ride. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a veteran, excellent. I've got gear for you to use. If you're not, cool, come hang out with us, right? Because whether or not you've served the country or you support the country or you love America, like, we're going we're gonna to be your tribe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of the most um, influential people that we've brought into our program, it's a couple, you know, Dan and Haley Carmen, they just, they love America. They love veterans. They love being a part of this. Mm. Um, neither of them served in official capacity, but just having them around has just been absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, you know, That's amazing. Tell us where we can find you. Uh, yeah, so tdtp.org is our website. Uh, we're on the gram. Obviously, that's kind of our main social push. Um, we're on Facebook. If you want to see if there's a chapter wherever you're listening to this um, that exists where you are, you can go onto our Facebook page. There's a groups tab, and that'll drop down and show you the different locations. Um, if we're not there yet, just kind of stay tuned. We're mm. we're working on it, right? Like, only have so many hours in a day. <laughs> um. We were very lucky recently to be on a, a featured on a YouTube channel. It's got two and a half million subscribers. So if you've done anything in the bike world, you know of Seth Seth's bike hacks or Burn Peak. Mm-hmm. He uh, he had an extra bike frame and a bunch of spare parts. So he's like, "Hey, I'm going to build this bike and then donate it to a program." Well, lucky us, stars aligned. He ran awesome. into some of our group riders in North Carolina where he lives. They got to talking. He's like, oh, I'm going to donate this bike to you guys. Amazing. And then, you know, talked about it on his YouTube channel. And that's just really opened up the floodgates. So, you know, if if tomorrow I all of a sudden had 48 hours in a day, we could probably have three, three times as many chapters as we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to get there, though. That's I think funny. you will. Yeah, I think so. 
Look at that mind expanding. Yeah. That's great, John. Yes. It's been fantastic Absolutely. having you on the show, brother. Thank you for the invite. Always love having you. Thanks. Beautiful hair. Yeah. Before we close out, you have a Veterans Day event planned at Spider Mountain. We absolutely do. Yeah. Oh. Thank you for that. So, yes, yes. Uh, Plug November, it away. November 5th is going to be our Veterans Day event at Spider Mountain. It's out in Burnett, Texas. Doing it a week early to not conflict with everything else that's yeah. going on. Um, our folks at Spider have been very generous, offered discounted lift tickets and lodging tickets. So come out, make a weekend of it. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Come have fun. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. Remember, remember the 5th of November. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Take it to the bank, guys. <laughs> Thanks for uh, joining the show, brother. We love you. Yes, sir. Thanks. Appreciate it. This has been the Medevac Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for watching. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>